Well, friends, we're supposed to be in chapter 14 today. That was the schedule. Um, and as you well know, we only read one verse. And here's the reason why. Um, when I was, uh, I have a certain sequence that I go through for you know, uh, message preparation. And I have a certain word number that I kind of not target, but I know if I'm on, you know, if I get five to six pages, single space typed, that's going to be in the sweet time of, you know, 30, 35 minutes. But when I had eight pages, I thought I'm in trouble. And that was Thursday. And so Thursday at noon, I thought, yeah, I got to change this. And it's not the, normally the time you want to be thinking about writing a new sermon. Um, but the reason it, it came to me is um, there's kind of an elephant in the room. And the elephant is I grew up being taught and believing that the sign gifts were all done. They were ceased. I, I was taught that. I didn't have any problem with it for a variety of reasons. Number one is I believe that the sign gifts were done by the apostles and prophets as a foundation of the church, Ephesians 3.20. And I bought that and believed that. And it's there in the text, right there. And I thought, yeah, it makes sense. I don't believe there, there are, the, the, I don't believe the apostolic office exists today. Um, Acts chapter 2 prevents me from believing that because there was three criteria to be an apostle. And that is that you walked with Jesus and saw Jesus while he was alive. You witnessed Christ in, in his post-resurrection body. And third, you were appointed by the Lord. The fact is you could be appointed later as was Barnabas, as was James. But the fact is, I think you still have the first two that you have to fulfill. Therefore, my position would be there is no apostolic office today. Are there apostles in the sense once sent by God? I could buy off on missionaries being small a apostle. Not a problem. Apostolic office, writing the scripture? No. So I thought, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, number two reason why I believed that the sign gifts were done is simply because when I looked around, I didn't see the blind scene. I mean, I saw a lot of fabrication, a lot of things that are like, wow, well, it's like, okay. You know, I went to the fairgrounds when I was a kid and paid five bucks to have somebody read my palm. And the lady said, oh, I see a life that you're going to live. You're going to live long. And it's like, how do you know that? I mean, she could tell me anything. She could say, oh, I see a family in your future. Well, yeah, 99% of people have one. Odds are on your side. I didn't see things that I wanted to see. And I, I was not a disciple of John MacArthur, but I listened to John and really respected him. I just think he's a marvelous, marvelous gift to the body of Christ. And in his book, Charismatic Chaos, which is probably a little harsh on charismatics, though I thought they were pretty weird, so I didn't mind him making fun of them. And if I just offended you, I fully intended to. Um, but but the reality is, John, who I think took it personally too far in his book, he had this concept that I thought kind of made sense, this clustering of the supernatural gifts. Uh, one of them was in the Moses era. Another is in the kind of Elijah, Elijah area. Uh, and then another one is in the apostolic area or with Jesus. Now, I didn't have any idea if John knew for sure that the prophetic vision of Joel was going to do that again, but he kind of sided on, the, on that side that they weren't going to happen. I think my greatest concern, and somewhat still is when I think of the sign gifts, is the relationship that they have to the scriptures. 
Because I believe as there is no apostolic office today, I also believe that the scriptures are closed. Uh, Revelation 22, 18 and following suggests that you cannot add to the prophecy. Um, yes, the, the, the first application would be to the revelation that John was bringing, but I think there's also good grounds that that warning is to the entirety of the scriptures. I have seen, you probably you have too, a lot of people that are operating in this prophetic office, and I don't think there are the office of prophets today for a variety of reasons. We can get into that later, more next week. But I have seen some folks, more than I care, that seems to have elevated prophecy up to either parallel or at times even supplanting the scriptures. I'm very protective that I think that the final and complete authority over us as a church and my life is the scriptures. They are formed by God, inspired by God, preserved by God, and sustained by God for us. And all things need to come under the scriptures in terms of it being the grid by which we evaluate virtually everything. So when you put all of those together, add to it, the apostolic office is closed, the warning of revelation, and the preservation of the canon, I didn't have too much of a problem at all believing, because I didn't see a lot of legitimacy, none from my perspective, I didn't have a problem believing at all that, well, sign gifts are are done, we're we're finished. And, And I lived my Christian life as an early disciple in that place. And then I began to read the scriptures. And I realized that if we were going to look at chapter 14 in tongues and prophecy, it made no sense if you were anywhere towards where I was. Because it's like, you're like, what are we even looking at 14 for? Because these don't exist. So why would we look there? Let's just skip over and get into maybe the orderly worship towards the end and deal with something really simple. Like when Paul says, women be silent in the church. I mean, why deal with something, you know, so controversial as tongues and prophecy when we can go to that one and into chapter 15. And I realized the reason why I had about eight pages is because I was having a conversation in my head that we needed to have together. It's kind of that elephant in the room. And it really wrestles with the question, are the sign gifts done? And is Paul's exhortation, if you will, in chapter 14, for us, out of bounds and maybe even wicked, when he says, I want you to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Now, I realize that Paul's number one point as he's writing this text, if you go back to chapter one, verse seven, he says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may operate in wisdom and balance in the Holy Spirit until the return of Christ. And the more I begin to look at this text, the more I realized we have to deal with this. We have to deal with 13.8 through the end. Otherwise, we're going to mishandle 14. 
And we're not going to deal with it in honesty. And there's going to be a number of you who say, wait a minute. I mean, why would we even look at it if they're gone, if they've ceased? Because that's what Paul says. He says, when the perfect comes, the imperfect will disappear. What will happen is prophecies are going to cease. Tongues are going to cease. And their knowledge or words of knowledge, uh, it will pass away. I have been taught all my early life that that has occurred. The problem is we have to deal with the question, when does the perfect show up? Because that's what he says. He says, when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Verse 10. So I want to wrestle with this question together today. To be honest with you, yes, it's a huge risk, given the fact that we're not a charismatic church. Given the fact I've been here 15 years and really haven't talked much about this. Uh, given the fact that, uh, again, as I said, most pastors either retire or get fired after preaching 1 Corinthians. It's this day that probably is the one I'm talking about. Because we've got to wrestle with it. But we can't go to 14 with integrity if we don't look at 13. The question we want to wrestle with is, have the sign gifts ceased? Is Paul's exhortation to us in 14.1 legitimate or do we need to skip over it because they have ceased as he tells us in 13, 8 through 12? Well, it all hinges upon this little issue called perfection. And the question is, is when does perfection come? Because that's when all of these sign gifts are going to cease. That's what he says. When perfection comes... Everything in the sign gift area, the supernatural, they're going to be done. Well, perfection can't be Christ in his first coming. It can't be because he'd already come. And if he'd already come and Paul is talking about when perfection comes, that doesn't make sense. We can write that one off. It's not Jesus. Another one that people suggest is the church. Where do they get that from? Well, let's go to verse 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Read in there, childish ways, prophecy, tongues. Here's the problem. Paul hadn't put them away. And secondly, if anyone in this room wants to build their argument based upon the maturity of the church, that's the perfection, some argue. That when the church becomes mature, like Paul says, I was childish, but when I get older, I put those things away. Two problems with that interpretation. Number one, Paul was writing, I am now mature, and he hadn't put those things away. And number two, as D.A. Carson says, it was a great New Testament scholar, said anyone that wants to build their criteria or their rationale based upon the maturity of the church as rationale for why the gifts should cease, he says, you are building your argument on thin ice. In other words... Where is the church completely mature? And where does the church at a national level, because the church is all over the board, no matter where you look at it. Carson says you have to completely reject the idea that the perfection is the maturation of the church because it's never going to attain that, this side of glory. 
probably the most well-supported or postulated view is the perfection is the scriptures. When the perfect comes, when God's word is canonized, Paul is writing at a time, latter 60s, 70s, and he's writing at a time where he's forming the scriptures under the inspiration of scripture. They had not been canonized yet, meaning they had not been put together, the 66 books. That happens actually a number of years later. And the suggestion is when the perfection comes, the canonization of the scriptures, the foundation of which is all of our authority, that's when sign gifts cease. That's pretty decent, honestly, until again you read the Bible. Let's read it together. Verse 12. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Verse 12, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then, what's then? Perfection. He's referring back to his perfection. Then we shall see face to face. Can I ask you a question? Has anyone seen God face to face in this room? Me neither. If perfection is the scripture, Paul says, we're going to see God face to face when perfection occurs. What do we see today? Face to word. We haven't seen God face to face. We are not fully known as we are. We do not fully know as he fully knows us. He goes on. He goes, now I know in part, then I shall know fully. When is then? Perfection. Conclusion, there's really only one option for perfection. It's not, can't be the word of God because we don't fully see God face to face. It can't be the maturity of the church because it's not ever going to reach that, this side of glory. And it can't be the first return or first coming of Christ because he'd already come. There is only one option you have for this text. When is perfection? When Christ comes back the second time. When Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up for his church, prophecy, done. Visions, done. Tongues, done. All of those supernatural sign gifts, done. Until the perfection comes, what's the inference? What's the implication? Eagerly seek the gifts. Now, it's never easy. It's not. Probably some of you are in the same boat, like last night, like this morning. Friends came up to me and said, Pastor, I was raised just like you. Yeah. We have to look at the text and realize that, you know, sometimes our systems, I know for some of you, you're staunch dispensationalists. So am I. What do do you mean by that? I mean that when you live the Christian life, you and I didn't come to church this morning with a sheep hanging over our head to sacrifice. We're not under the law. We relate to Christ through grace. Lewis Berry Schaefer said, if you don't bring a sheep to service, you're a dispensationalist. Yes, I agree. But our system that we like to lay on the text sometimes gets us in trouble. And our hermeneutic that we like to lay on the text from our system causes us 
and this is me, to be blind to the real hermeneutic that we say we operate under. See, if I'm just to take this text, not only does it not tell me the sign gifts cease, it tells me they must continue until the perfection comes. That's why Paul concludes this section. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Dr. Blomberg, in his commentary, Craig is a good friend. I've known him for years. He was a senior professor at, at New, at, uh, of New Testament at, at Denver, where I taught. He makes in his commentary this statement when he's talking about those who deny the sign gifts of our day. He says, worse still is the forced view that attributes many apparently powerful works of the spirit during the past century to human manufacture at best and diabolical counterfeit at worst. Now, quite candidly, I I was there. I used to accuse a lot of people of manufactured emotionalism. I don't know that I ever went to diabolical counterfeit, but probably I was right on the edge. Until I begin to look at this text and say, wait a minute, what's this text really teach me? It doesn't teach me that the supernatural gifts of the spirit are done for today. It tells me that they must continue. Why? Because the perfection hasn't come. It takes it a step further. If you're going to be obedient to the text of scripture, you're going to ask God for it for the church. If you're going to be obedient to the scripture, which we want to be, then Paul says, eagerly desire them, seek them. One of my favorite authors over the years, he's now in heaven, is Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a great pastor in, in London. For those of you who are interested, he's not a charismatic guy, he's a Calvinist. He said, it is perfectly clear that in the New Testament times, the gospel was authenticated in this way by signs and wonders and miracles of various characters and descriptions. Was it only meant to be true of the early church? The scriptures never anywhere say that these things were only temporary, never. There is no such statement in the Bible. No, in fact, God says through the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. In fact, that's Paul's very point. When you go back to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, he's saying, I've come to write to you about the gifts of the Spirit, how to use them, how to mature in them until the return of Christ. He hasn't changed that goal. So if indeed... From Paul's perspective, the gifts of the Spirit are mandated for today because the perfect has not come. I still got two really significant issues that I have to raise with you. And they really come out of my history. The first one is what is the relationship of the gifts of the Spirit to the Word of God? 
have to wrestle with that, in particular prophecy. But not just prophecy, words of knowledge and those things that are kind of tend to be supernatural, where I see periodically people raising them up to be on par or even at times over the authority of God's word. It is true, look at Romans chapter 1 verse 16 where Paul says it is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. He doesn't say signs and wonders. No one ever gets saved because of a miracle. No one. When Jericho's walls came tumbling down, I don't think it broke out a revival. When Elijah came and he called down fire on all of those prophets of Baal and he had a heyday and it was just an unbelievably supernatural moment, if miraculous things instilled faith and great faith, then Elijah should have come out of the prophets of Baal on top of the world. It was only a few days later that Elijah is at the cave of a mouth and he is asking God to take his life and he's contemplating suicide. So the reality is, miracles don't produce salvation. They don't produce great faith. The gospel is what God has used to save people and always will be. Paul also in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says that we preach Christ crucified. However, it seems to me to be a mistake to pit the gospel, the scriptures, the crucified Christ against the supernatural. To say that if we're going to preach this, that we have to deny this. And the reason why it's inconsistent is because Paul doesn't. Paul doesn't take the gospel, that which is Christ crucified, and somehow counter it and say, because I preach Christ crucified, because the gospel is the power of God, therefore we need no other power. Paul doesn't do that. In fact, if we look at a proper relationship of signs and wonders to the scripture, we see them coming together like this. Let me give you a number of them. First one is in Acts chapter four. Peter, who is preaching, he just saw a number of people come to Christ, approximately 3,000 people, and he prays, God, stretch out your hand with signs and wonders that they might believe the gospel. Luke tells us in the book of Acts that the signs were not a threat to the scripture, but rather they witnessed to the gospel. They were not undermining the scripture. They testified to the word of God. They were a witness, a testimony to it. They were secondary, but they were a witness. If you go through the book of Acts, there are 17 times. I can give you a couple of them right now. Acts 9, 34, 35, Acts 9, 40, and 42. But there's a total of 17 times where signs and wonders are utilized by God to validate, to encourage, to strengthen, to be a testimony to the word of God. Not supplanting it, not coming over it, but rather a witness. In what sense? Just like what Jesus did. Remember when the Gentleman on a stretcher came to him and Jesus said, hey, take, get up, take your mat and go home. And they were all troubled about that. And Jesus comes back to them and said, hey, which one's easier to tell the man your sins are forgiven or to tell the man get up and take your mat and walk? 
Well, it's much easier to say your sins are forgiven because nobody knows. But Jesus wanted them to know that he had authority, which was only given to God, to forgive sins. And to do that, what did he do? Supernaturally healed the man. You see, his healing, the signs and wonders, was simply a what? Testimony to the word of God that only God can forgive. He's not supplanting it. He's bringing them together. Acts chapter 14, Paul, Barnabas, the text says, were speaking boldly and they prayed, God, would you grant us signs and wonders to be done by our hands that they might believe your word? See, if you look at the Bible, the Bible is never threatened. The authority of God's word is never threatened. The canon is never threatened by the signs and wonders. When you look at it biblically, the canon is testified to. The canon is witnessed to by these signs and wonders. What did they do? They wake up the disinterested. They cause the cynic to look into the word of God. They cause the resistant heart, the stubborn heart. They cause the person who thinks God has forgotten them to realize through the signs and wonders that God actually sees them. The relationship of the gifts to the word of God is not an issue. When number one, we believe that the canon is closed, it is God's final authority over all faith and practice. And yet the supernatural signs that Paul prayed for, that Stephen prayed for, that Barnabas prayed for, that Paul prayed for in the Galatian church and through the Galatian church was not a threat to the word of God, but actually was a testimony to the word of God. The second question that I want to raise is this issue of the relationship of the gifts to the apostolic office. Let me repeat. I do not believe, if you take the scripture seriously, that you can support the office of apostle existing today. Here's the reason why. is because there were three criteria. Walked with Jesus, witnessed Christ after the resurrection, and was appointed by God. It was the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, that was the foundation of the church. The church has been founded. The church has been grounded. The scriptures have been given to us, validated and verified by the apostolic office. But does the scripture tell us that the apostolic office had exclusive rights to the supernatural. Do the scriptures tell us that only through the apostolic office would signs and wonders be done? If the scripture tell us that, then I say the gifts have ceased. The supernatural sign gifts have ceased because they were exclusively to validate the apostolic office. But let's evaluate that as we look through scripture. Number one, Jesus sent out 70. It was told us in Luke chapter 10, verse nine. Jesus sent out 70 to do what? To heal, to cast out demons. Now, if you look at that list, and we're not gonna find that list, but we know that the vast majority of those 70s weren't apostles. 
In other words, Christ entrusted. You say, well, that was Jesus. He can do anything he wants. Yeah, that's true. But what about Stephen? Acts chapter six, verse eight. He's not an apostle. Never was an apostle. He was a deacon. He was the first deacon. He was a courageous deacon. He was a martyr. But the scriptures tell us in chapter six, verse eight, that Stephen did signs and wonders, yet he wasn't an apostle. It was just the supernatural work of God through his life. Galatians chapter three, verse five, Paul is saying, he who is supplying the spirit and works miracles among you did it not by the law, but by faith. Now, there's no indication at all that any of the apostles went to the Galatian region. Paul went there. Maybe Barnabas went there at a time. Maybe James and James and Barnabas were at some point labeled apostles. But it doesn't share with us that the rest of the apostles went there. In fact, Paul's writing to the church and he says to this church, God is supplying the spirit and works miracles among you. What's the grounds of that? Because they were a bunch of apostles? No. It's because they're people who lived by faith. First Corinthians chapter 12, Paul makes this statement in verse 9 and 10. He says, various members among you are empowered to do signs and wonders. And yet he distinguishes them and, and makes sure that we know that there is another group of people called the apostles in verse 27 and 29. Hodge identifies eight distinct characteristics of a large A apostle, the office of apostle. But he also makes a statement of the eight, none of them are exclusive that these things are only of the apostles in terms of the signs and wonders. In other words, it was one of the signs of an apostle It just wasn't exclusively of them. Implication. We don't need the apostolic office today. It's closed from my perspective. Are there small a apostles sent ones by God? The the gifts are listed in Ephesians and the gifts are listed in Corinth. I I think there are. I think I would classify missionaries as apostles, those sent, those who are sent out by a body. I, I don't have a problem with that. I do have a problem with people who think they may be writing scripture today who are founding the church in a way that's not been founded. I, I don't see any grounds for that. And I think we have to wholeheartedly and graciously and humbly reject that. But I also have to say that I think it's inconsistent to say that the apostolic office had exclusive rights on signs and wonders when there is a replete number of examples all the way through the New Testament of people in Galatia, in Corinth, and beyond who under the authority of Christ and through the power of Christ are seeing signs and wonders done. I again come back to Martin Lloyd-Jones. What is needed is some mighty demonstration of the power of God, some enactment of the Almighty that will compel people to pay attention, to look, to listen. And when God acts, he can do more in a minute than a man with his organizing can do in 50 
years. I'm not trying to reclassify our church. Please understand. I'm simply trying to be faithful to the word of God. I would have been a coward if I would have jumped to chapter 14 and modified prophecy and tongues and not deal with this issue because I, I, I understand there's some of you who have taken a position of cessationism. That's the belief that the sign gifts have ceased. And I realize today you might be thinking, yeah, I better find me another church. And there's not a pastor in the world that doesn't like people to like them. And so, you know, preaching this is, is an area where I thought, you know, God, I, I just, at the end of the day, I don't want to disappoint people, but more importantly, I don't want to cower away from something I think you have called us to deal with today as a church. My conclusion is simply this. Not only does the Bible not, or not only does the Bible tell us that the gifts are for today, because the perfection has not come, but it tells us we as a church should eagerly seek them. Now, I, for one, am slightly um, moved against such an idea. I, I am disinclined to do that. Why? I don't want some of the craziness that comes with it. I don't want 1,500 people coming to me and say, I got a word of knowledge for you, Pastor. Great. Have a word of knowledge for yourself. Leave me alone. There's craziness that comes with it. But the fact is, the Bible is the Bible and I cannot be disobedient to it as best I can. And it says to eagerly seek spiritual gifts. Why? They're not for show. They're to help the body grow. They're not to create a supernatural list of who's more spiritual than another. They're so that we might mature. So that we might be who Christ wants us to be. So let me close with four stories. I close them again at some level of risk. Because I don't want to give you thus saith the Lord. But I do want to give you, um, this is not a new position for me. I came to this position probably 25, 30 years ago. So the fact that I haven't kind of hammered this thing for the last 15 years lets you know that this is not an area that is like, man, got to deal with this issue. But over the years, years ago, I came to the point where I came to grips with what this text teaches. And I began to ask, God, if you want to take this disenfranchised kind of um, moderately skeptical Baptist pastor and lead me into the area of the supernatural, I'll go. But please don't ever take me into a charismatic church. A number of years ago, I had a dream. Um, Difference simply is a dream is at night and a vision is during the day. When I woke up from this dream, I have a lot of dreams, most of them. I have absolutely no question that they're not from God. <laughs> this had an idea to it. I had a picture to it. I saw rooms and I saw two people that I know. And I saw incidences occurring in this room. But when I woke up, I thought, you know, man, this is 
seems like this is not, you know, bad burrito. This is, this is of God. So I called this person who I've known for years, all my life. And I said, you know that I didn't grow up with this dreams world and but here's my dream. And does it make any sense to you? She began to weep because the very thing that God showed me in that dream occurred the night before and her life was at risk. I had this amazing feeling, God, you have access to me. I wasn't rejecting the word of God. I wasn't setting it aside. I wasn't trumping the word of God. In fact, both of us had this sense, God sees you. And God has not abandoned you in this moment of chaos and abuse. Years later, I was in my office. Gentleman brought his wife in. I think I've shared this with some of you. She was hissing like a cat in the middle of the night. She came into our office and she curled up in a fetal position and just kind of mocked us and hissed at us. And I was like, well, this is kind of a bad deal because she's one of our Sunday school teachers. And, and uh, I, I, I grew up with a demonic uncle. I witnessed it. I had no problem. I never doubted God. I'm not saying I was always obedient to God, but I never doubted God because I witnessed the power of Satan. And here I had this woman in my life and I didn't have the option of saying, well, you know what, tell you what, driving out demons, that happened in the Bible, but it can't happen today because that's just not a category that we believe in. If I would have said that at that moment, they would have both walked out the door and said, good night. What? kind of pathetic pastor are you? I wasn't skilled at it. Still am not. I called a friend in and over a period of three hours through a lot of struggle and a lot of humility and a lot of worship and a lot of scripture reading, but we had a ground. We had a platform. It was called the word of God. We had a foundation and we dealt with it and that demon was manifested and we talked to him and we drove him out. And to this day, our dear friend Marianne is free from that demon. Story number three. I'm sitting in my office over here, minding my own business, just studying. Have you ever seen one of those reader boards where it just kind of reads this message across the front? I had a reader board that went across my head and it gave me a name and it, and, and it said a few other things. Um, I don't drink, I don't smoke weed, just so you know. <laughs> so I don't normally get reader boards like people who drink a lot and smoke weed. That's what they tell me. So I went and visited this man on the way home. God put your name across my head, just like a reader board. Are you struggling? He was getting ready to throw 40 years of sobriety out the door. He was on the edge. 
I, I didn't supplant the word of God. We didn't reject the word of God. We didn't give ourselves a new authority. We just simply recognized that God saw this man and he loved this man. And he was answering a prayer that I prayed years ago. God, if you so desire to bring words of knowledge or these kinds of visions to me, Lord, I, I will do it. I don't need the craziest of demonic stuff. I, I've had a number of phone calls in, in this city of going and casting out demons out of homes and, and others have flown in. I don't need that. That stuff is craziness. But God, if that's what you want to do, that's what this text tells me. Eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. It's not arrogance. It's not pride. It's a person who's not in it for the show, but simply says, God, I want the body to grow. And I want a man who's struggling with throwing away 40 years of sobriety to make it to 41. Last story. I'm in my office, same place, minding my own business, studying the word of God, and I get another reader board. Would I call this normative? Would I call this every day? No, I've been here 15 years. I've had, I think, three reader boards. I don't wake up every day expecting it. But I got another reader board, and it had a name. And it had another word. Suicide. Well, Lord, he's not even in town. What am I going to do? Can't go visit him. Wasn't audible, but the Holy Spirit was pretty clear. Phones still work. Get on the phone. So I did. I didn't want to presume that I knew what was going on. I didn't want to presume that I know thus saith the Lord. So I asked him, I said, hey, man, your name just came across my head like a reader board. What's going on? He had a gun to his head. He was going to take his life. I tell you the stories, my friends, not for you to think differently of me. My wife will be the first one to tell you he still walks with clay feet. But I challenge you. I challenge you. Do you believe your hermeneutics so deeply that you might run the risk of being disobedient to the word of God? Do you believe it so deeply or might you look at the text again freshly and say, God, what are you teaching me? And might he, for our church at this season, don't let it get out. People think we're weird. But might it be in this season that God would say to our church, to you, I want you to ask me for more and I will give it to you, not for show, but so that you can grow. So that a man might make 40 years of sobriety, 41. So that a man might live. So that a woman might be rescued from a domestic situation. Might it be that God wants to give that to you? You can be open to the spirit of God, but do you take the obedient step to say, eagerly desire pray for it ask God for it 